The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. And good afternoon. Today, we're talking to Dr. John Boroshenko, a distinguished pioneer in integrative medicine and a world-renowned expert in the mind-body connection whose work has been foundational in an international healthcare revolution that recognizes the spiritual dimension of life as an integral part of health and healing. And since she's one of the world's most sought-after speakers, we're quite fortunate to get the opportunity today to sort of pick her brain on the topic of resilience. Dr. Joan, as she is affectionately called, earned a doctoral degree and two postdoctoral degrees from Harvard, studying medicine, cancer cell biology, psychology, and finally psychoneuroimmunology. She's the co-founder with Drs. Herbert Benson and Ilian Kutz of two different mind-body sciences, sciences organizations and has more recently partnered with her husband, Gordon DeVeren, in founding the Claritas Institute for Spiritual Inquiry. After years of clinical experience, Joan published her first best-selling, mind, Minding the Body, Mending the Mind. Since then, she has published several video and audio programs and 14 other books, including the topic of our previous interview, Your Soul's Compass, What is Spiritual Guidance?, she appears for the second time on Ultimate Living Today to talk with us about her latest book, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change. And I was just saying uh, before the show started to uh, Dr. Jones that we, I spent the weekend listening, listening to the um, memorial services for Ted Kennedy and uh, also reading her lovely book on resilience and just thinking so much about how he was a man who not only was resilient with regard to the tragedies of his own life, but was resilient over his own shortcomings. And it was such a wonderful, poignant example to me of what her book had to say, and I really think you listeners are going to benefit from it. So welcome, Joan, today to Authentic Living. We're so glad that you took the opportunity to come and talk with our listeners today. Thank you so much for having me back. I really loved being with you when Your Soul's Compass came out, and now... um, this new book on resilience, It's Not the End of the World, is really coming out at a time when people are appreciating it because we all need to look at people like Ted Kennedy and say, how do they do it? You know, Or John McCain, who was a POW for five years and tortured, how does he do it? Or people in Rwanda who've uh, overcome situations, gone through situations of genocide, and come out of it with an open heart. And that's the question. How do they do it? How do they all do it? And what can we learn? Okay. So well, the first thing I think I want to feel before we go any further with it is there are a lot of people out there who think that resilience is a genetic 
component, uh, and that some people got it and some people don't. So tell us about that. You know, it's a little bit like happiness. Uh, for something like happiness, about 50% of it is genetic, and the rest of it you've got to develop yourself. And it's the same with resilience. Definitely some people have got sturdier brain chemistry than others, but we can all learn how to be resilient. And that's the important part, I think, to recognize that no matter what hand you were dealt biologically, you and you alone are in charge of being able to change those brain circuits for the better. And we know a lot now about the neurochemistry and neurobiology of how we change those brain circuits and overcome the genetics. So what do we know about that? What, what, what is the neurochemistry? I know you can't, like, tell us in detail about that, and we wouldn't understand if you tried, but uh, if you can sort of give us an idea of what shifts in the brain as we begin to develop resilience. Well, you know, a little bit of background. Up until, oh, maybe even 20 years ago, it was thought that you were born with all the neurons you were ever going to get, and you would just lose them uh, with aging. And it's true, you do lose them. But we were wrong about all the neurons you were ever going to get, nerve cells in the brain. It turns out that we're continually developing new nerve cells in our brain. And not only that, but they continue to wire with each other in new ways. And so that's how we learn. We, you know, we keep repeating certain behaviors and different neurons grow and they wire together and we develop a neural network so that these things become automatic. And on the negative side of the ledger, when we're not hardy, uh, when we're not stress hardy, when we tend to freak out and say, oh, my God, it's the end of the world, this thing is happening, and we start to think pessimistically, that's a mind habit, that, uh, and we grow nerve tracts. So as soon as something doesn't go our way, without thinking about it unconsciously, that neural network of pessimism and stress takes over. Well, we can build the same kind of neural network for resilience. Uh, we'll be growing new cells, and cells will wire together. So when something stressful happens, instead of seeing it as a threat, we see it as a challenge. We approach it in a much more creative way. And that's what we can learn to do. And once you learn to do it, it becomes progressively more automatic because you've changed your brain. Right. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So you mentioned um, um, pessimism, and I, I laughed to myself when I read in the book that you called yourself a recovering pessimist because I think we all are in some way or another. But tell us a little bit about what, what is optimistic realism? Well, you know, here's the thing. Wouldn't you think that people who were just downright optimistic would be resilient, Andrea? It would seem so. Yeah, it would seem so to me. That's what I would have thought. And there was um, a wonderful book that came out a couple of years ago. You, you might have read it, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he looks at companies and tries to figure out if they're resilient. And like the two of us, he figured, well, if the, if the management of a company company is optimistic, it must be a resilient company. And it turned out he was completely wrong. And one of the very interesting things he found was this. 
he interviewed uh, Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was a POW, you know, held and tortured by the Viet Cong for eight years. And he said, tell me, you know, tell me who was resilient, who lived to get out of those camps. And Stockdale told Collins essentially this. He said, you know, the ones who died first were the optimists, which is pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. And he said, here was the reason, because they would just say to themselves, oh, we'll be rescued. We'll be out of here by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go, and then they'd say, oh, we'll be out of here by 4th of July. And, you know, it would go on. The Thanksgiving would come, New Year's would come, and they still weren't rescued. And because they had this optimistic idea that was constantly disappointed, eventually they gave up hope. And in uh, Stockdale's words, they died of a broken heart. And that's what happens sometimes when we engage in the kind of optimism that is wishful thinking. But there's something else. It's not optimism per se. It's, it's, um, it's the term that you first used. And that is, it's a, it's a realism, but it's an optimistic kind of realism. And let's say you've lost your job, and we'll compare uh, kind of cheap optimism to optimistic realism. And the kind of cheap optimism would be to say, I lost my job, but if I just say enough affirmations, a new one will come. Or I lost my job, but... You know, pretty soon the president will put everything right and it will all be fine. Realism is i got to pay the bills. And, yeah, I can use my affirmations, and I sure hope Obama does something. But in the meantime, I can see very clearly I need this amount of money to meet my rent. I need this amount of money for my car payment and this amount for food. How am I going to get it? And the resilient person really looks the situation right in the eyeballs. That's what realism is. And says things like, well, my dream job is not going to a temporary labor pool and making, you know, eight bucks an hour. But if I add it up, eight bucks an hour, you know, times <laughs> times an eight hour day, times five days a week, I can survive until I get another job, or at least the burn on my cash reserve will be less. And that is what a realistic person does. They, you know, they recognize what the difficulty is. They cope with it, and they don't get pessimistic about it. It's just what is, just what's happening and what has to be coped with. And that is really the cornerstone of resilience. Is that acceptance is basically kind of what you're talking about, that it says, okay, this is what is. I'm not going to bargain with it in my head or deny it or play with it or pretend it away. I'm going to really look at it and deal with it. Absolutely. Um, To accept the situation and then not embroider on it. See, the pessimist sees the situation, but then will say, no wonder I lost my job. I'm an idiot. All these terrible things happened to me. My marriage is no good, too. I wasn't good at the last job. And pretty soon the pessimist has dug a hole. So it's acceptance. Uh, when you look at the facts, you need to accept them and leave it at that and go from there without <laughs> adding all kinds of negativity to it. Absolutely. It's bad enough that we got the problem without beating ourselves up for it. Well, that's right, and it's the beating, the beating oneself up part that ends up making us feel helpless and 
stresses, you know, stresses you out. And the fact is, once you're stressed out and you're putting out a lot of adrenaline and you're stuck in these old thinking patterns, it's really hard to be creative. So if I hope that some of your listeners just in hearing this are saying to themselves, oh, I could do this differently. I recognize I'd be up. I add to it. So we will talk about that when we come back, Andrea. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, that was a great start, and we'll be back with more on resilience in just a moment. We're talking today with John Corson. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
And we're back with Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And we're talking today to Dr. Joan Borsinko about her latest book, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change. And we were talking just uh, during the break. I, I was really aware when I was reading the book that um, there are one of the things that you seem to come back to again and again was that we can do more than one thing at a time. And I think we have a... Uh, mindset in our society that says sort of one thing at a time. I think all of us heard that from our parents at one point or another, do one thing at a time. And so we think, well, if I'm going to look for a job, that's what I need to do. If I need to do my affirmations, that's what I need to do. If I need to uh, pray, that's what I need to do. Whatever we just think of in terms of one thing. But actually we can do all of them at the same time and open up all kinds of possibilities. Well, we really can. And the, you know, the important thing is not to engage in wishful thinking. An affirmation is something very powerful, and it requires some kind of action to really back it up. And so, you know, you can affirm that a job even better than the one you just had is waiting for you. And then you'll be able to recognize when you see it, but you also have to go out and look for the job. Right, right. That's very well said. I, I really think that affirmations do require some action, just like insight, and, uh, and that's very well said. Well, they do. You probably know that old teaching story of um, Anthony DeMello, who, in terms of holistic theology, he was amazing. He was Indian from India and a Jesuit um, priest. And he always told the story of the man who was just, you know, always praying and affirming and just a wonderful man, and he died, and he went, you know, standing there in front of God, and he says to God, you know, I thought I was really a good person, I did good for others, and why is it that you let me uh, get hungry in my old age? Why is it I kept praying to win the lottery, and I, I never did, had a lot of troubles financially? And God said, would have helped a whole lot if you bought a lottery ticket. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yep, absolutely. And, yeah, and we do engage in a lot of wishful thinking. And since um, The Secret came out, which is a wonderful book and has much more to say than I think has been interpreted, uh, there was so much about, I saw so many people who said, well, I'm affirming that I'm going to become a millionaire and I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing to make that happen? So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We really do need to put the whole body, mind, and spirit into action at once. We do. Yeah. We do. Action, action and behavior is where the rubber hits the road. Right. So, okay, have, have we disclosed now the three secrets of resilience? No, we still, we still have two more. And, you know, I, um, I'd like to talk about five of the secrets of resilience. I know the first chapter of It's Not the End of the World talks about the three secrets. I wish I'd said the five, because then I added them later, but uh, here they are. The first one we talked about, that is look in your situation in the eye with no wishful thinking and no denial. So that's realism. The second is faith, and the third is the tremendous ability to improvise with anything you can find. So let's take a look at the second two then. Faith is a very important thing. You know, in all the studies, when they looked at um, uh, POWs, and they said, why did you survive? Faith was mentioned every time. 
And, for example, we were talking about um, Admiral Jim Stockdale and the question that he was asked, you know, who didn't survive the POW camp? And when he said, well, you know, it was the optimist, the Jim Collins went on and said, well, why did you survive the camp? And he said, because of my faith. And uh, faith gives people tremendous strength. And it can certainly be faith in, you know, faith in God, faith in the universe, faith in, in the unseen world, things actually manifesting uh, temporarily in a way that seems pretty dire. But the faith that you hold underneath that someday at some point you'll see there was a reason or a purpose. There are many kinds of faith, but uh, having faith prevents people from feeling powerless, hopeless, and put upon. So it's really important. And then the third secret after realism and faith is the, um, the ability to really improvise. And when I read about that, I had to laugh because I'm a great improviser. Um, I'll give you an example. There's a word in French called bricolage, and it means taking a bit of this and a bit of that and making something great out of it. So today, um, my husband said, what will we have for lunch? Because we both work at home like many people do. And he said, oh, my goodness, we haven't been to the supermarket. There's nothing for lunch. And my response was, that's actually my very favorite thing. Let me root around, and I'm going to make the best lunch that you've ever had out of whatever odds and ends I could find. And so I did. I found a few frozen, organic spinach ricotta ravioli. And, you know, I found an organic chicken sausage in the freezer. I found a bottle of wonderful heirloom tomato sauce. We're growing out on our deck basil and oregano and thyme. And I put it all together, and we had a gourmet meal, which I was able to whip up in about 15 minutes, out of odds and ends. Oh, that's great. You know, the people do this in terms of um, just about anything in their life. For example, Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, was a psychiatrist, as you know, Andrea, who survived, I think, actually four different Nazi concentration camps in the Second World War. And he observed who died quickly in the camp and gave up hope and who was resilient. And he said he wanted to survive because he was going to write a book on resilience, which he did, Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the things he referred to in that book was that the survivors tended to collect any odds and ends of anything they could find that might come in useful. Bits of string, you know, little bits of um, metal or wire. And that enabled some of them to do things like make shoelaces. And when it's snowy and you have no shoelaces, uh, you die pretty quickly from frostbite. So something like that could save your life. Absolutely. I tell a couple of stories, and it's not the end of the world, about clients I've had who really created something out of nothing. They would see potential in a job situation. Uh, like I tell the story of this one wonderful woman who, um, who got a job from a temporary labor pool watering plants in an office building. And she was so good at 
seeing what were the plants that are around, could they be swapped out, what was available, that over a period of months, the company came to love her, and they actually footed the bill to give her more training in landscape in um, indoor landscape architecture, and that's her job now. Hmm. So that that's very important, that ability to improvise. The other two main secrets of resilience are the support of good friends who support us not in being victimized, but who support us in finding possibilities. And uh, so that's, that's called social support. And number five, I would say, is a great sense of humor. Because if you start taking yourself seriously, you just get bogged right down. So taking things lightly lets you step back, lets you witness them from another point of view. And it really enhances resilience. Absolutely, it does. You know, so I think some of the most poignant and powerful moments that I see in therapy sometimes is when somebody begins to laugh at themselves with tears in their eyes. They're laughing and laughing, and they just get it. They get it on a whole other level than they got it when they weren't laughing at themselves and taking themselves so seriously. Well, it's so true. And it, it's certainly that's a great sign of maturity and acceptance. And, uh, you know, I have a very dear friend, Loretta LaRoche, who is a wonderful humorist. And she just did her seventh PBS special, which is really pretty amazing. Hmm. And uh, I think that one might have been called Lighten Up, actually. I bet it was. Yeah. The latest book, I think. Yeah, yeah. And she, she really uses humor as a form of cognitive therapy, as a way to look at your thoughts and change your mind. And uh, it's, it's great. Yep, and that support group is also very, I call it support group, you call it social support, and uh, I think that's also very important, and picking and choosing. What you said is not to pe people that would support sort of victimization, but people who support finding possibilities, and I just think that our ability to sort out who we're going to hang out with when we're, when we're troubled is very, very key. It's totally key. You know, I am... Um... You know, you see kids, there's been a lot of studies of resilient kids. And one of the things that makes the biggest difference is if a, if a child from an abusive or disadvantaged background finds a mentor, that there's somebody who's able to look at him and say, hey, I see the promise in you, and I'm going to help, and, and help that to develop. And contrast that with the kind of troubled child who is not fortunate enough to find mentors, whether they're peer mentors or older people, and instead begins to hang out with, you know, angry peers, taking drugs and doing all the rest, they go down the drain pretty fast. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. So, okay, we've been talking, there's five different points, so if I'm going to review them again, you're going to look, look it in the eye, you're going to look the problem in the eye, you're going to have faith, you're going to have the ab ability to improvise. You're going to have the support of good friends who will help you find possibilities, and you're going to have a sense of humor, and that is what builds resilience. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to be back to talk some more about how you can train your brain for re resilience when we get back right after the break. This is Andrea Matthews, and this is Authentic Living. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just 
I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. What can you tell me about Skills USA? Skills USA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we are so fortunate today to be talking to Dr. John Borsinko about her latest book, uh, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change. We've been talking about the five, uh, three and then five secrets of resilience and uh, want to talk now about some pragmatic ways that you can begin to really learn resilience to train your brain for success. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, Joan? Yes. Um, you know, remember we talked about bricolage, that ability to really improvise, to look around and to see different things and to collect them and to make something new whether they're job opportunities or people who do different things. And you can, you know, that's actually the best way to get a job is to talk to people that you know. And, or people who form companies, they begin to see, oh, I have a colleague who, um, who's good at leadership. I've got another colleague who's a great psychologist. 
and I want to form, you know, a particular kind of leadership interview, and they'll see who to bring together. So they're good at team building. That's all bricolage. And the question is, how do you develop a brain that doesn't just look down the corridor and see one thing, but has that kind of peripheral vision that sees many things and can then synthesize them? So in order to tell you um, how to do that, first I want to tell you a very interesting story of a bricoleur, a person who's good at bricolage. It was during the Second World War, and one of our intelligence services at that time was looking for people, um, you know, to be intelligence operatives overseas. And what they did was, you know, you sat in a waiting room, and then you came in to be interviewed. And what the interviewer asked was this, describe the waiting room. And there were some people who, like, they couldn't even remember what the waiting room looked like. And there were other people who would say things like, well, you know, it had green paint. Uh, the paint was really starting to fade and chip on the right side. There was a picture on the wall of sailboats, uh, you know, with a, one of them had a great big billowed mainsail, uh, and it was a little bit crooked. It was tilting to the left. The sofa that I was sitting in was a kind of green uh, corduroy, and it was a little bit tattered on the corner. And, you know, they would go on like that, and they would really be mindful, aware, attentive to everything around them. And those people with the capacity for attentive mindfulness were the ones who got hired um, as intelligence operatives. And it makes perfect sense. If you don't have enough mindfulness to notice what's going on around you, you know, the bad guy will <laughs> come up and clobber you over the head. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that ability to sense, which sometimes we even think is a kind of sixth sense, a kind of intuition. But, it, you know, it really is heightened sensory awareness in many different ways at once. And people who are really good at this even developed something called synesthesia. And that is, uh, I'm talking to you, but I can feel it in my body. Or sometimes you're talking to someone, and maybe you can almost taste the quality of your interaction. So all your senses kind of coming together. And uh, we can certainly develop mindfulness. In fact, that's the primary, if you talk about spirituality and resilience, it's one of the primary teachings of Buddhism, is to develop mindfulness, to develop awareness. And so there's an entire school of meditation known as mindfulness meditation. And um, for example, right now, I'm talking to you, but I'm also mindful of the sounds around me up in the mountains. And it's a little bit windy. I hear a rustle of wind. They're rebuilding our front steps. So I hear a saw going off. And the dog, one of the dogs is asleep in the other room. And I can hear the heavy breathing of the dog. can hear my voice. I can hear a kind of vibration of my voice in my body. I can hear the silence of you waiting. Uh, to speak on the other end of the line. And I feel 
the there's a uh, there's a sound of silence. I'm up at nine thousand feet, and that's underlying everything. So that's an example of being mindful of sound, and we can develop it. And you develop it by just you know being quiet. You can sit with your eyes open or closed. Start to pay attention to something repetitive, just like your breathing, the breath coming in and out, and try that. What can you hear? Or if your eyes are open, what can you see? Or what can you notice about how your breath feels in your body? And um, that's, that's how you develop mindfulness. It's a skill, a skill of paying attention and being present. Absolutely. And, you know, some, so many times I hear people say, well, you know, tell us how to develop psychic ability so we can know the future. And I'm, I want to always say, what about now? Let's know about now first. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think we don't know much about now. I think we miss a whole lot of now. And uh, I think that's what you're saying. And how can we be creative if we don't even know what's in the now? Well, that's right. You can't uh, because you miss the opportunities because you don't see things. You don't see what's literally in front of your face. So that's a, a wonderful practice, and the benefits of a mindful practice is that it changes your brain in a number of ways. First of all, meditation practice actually makes people happier. It changes the set point for happiness in the brain. And you talk about resilient people. Think about His Holiness the Dalai Lama in exile from Tibet. Um, the Tibetan people really having undergone a genocide. There's no other word for it. Uh, And it's it's a terrible situation for those who remain in Tibet under um, Chinese rule. And it's a difficult situation, of course, for the Tibetans who are in diaspora. But so many of them are amazingly resilient and happy. And the meditation practice is a very big part of that. Yep, it touches that that felt part of us that really does, you know, is is in the spiritual realm. That's the way I want to look at that. Way I want to say that, absolutely. So, so you're saying that meditation is one, just by itself, and uh, mindfulness is another, a, a way of sort of expanding the brain so you can train yourself to be more successful. Well, that's absolutely true. And then, of course, you know, and and it's not the end of the world. It's a very short book. Um, the chapters are really very succinct, but there's a chapter in there really on a, a chapter on paying attention to the needs of others. Essentially, I can't. The book's not in front of me. I can't remember. Helpers high. Helpers high, because it turns out that when you help someone else, you're the one who benefits. It changes your brain chemistry. It changes your bodily chemistry. It increases immune activity. It decreases. And in terms of changing your brain, if, if I, me, and mine is what you're always focused on, it's a very limited world. I know from my own self, I could sit, if I start to, to look and say, okay, um, what do I want? What do I need? Uh, what is my pain? What is my hope? There's a certain amount of that that's necessary. But after a while, it begins to be, it's very self-referential, and you get stuck in a trap of narcissism, as if you're the center of the world. Whereas anybody will tell you, 
if you look to the needs of somebody else, you know, go work at a soup kitchen, uh, do something helpful. I have friends who go to Africa all the time, uh, physicians and nurses who help people with AIDS. They come back after, you know, a couple of weeks or a month or two months of that saying, wow, it was so hard, and yet I didn't think of my own self or my own problems or difficulties at all. I was focused on other people, and the time flew, and I feel so much better. And we need to do that. You know, in Western culture, there's been such an emphasis on getting your own, and what it's done is it's made people more and more depressed. Absolutely, and that narcissistic stuff just gets us back in touch with narcissistic wounds that keep us stuck repeating the same old stuff. So when we're helping other people, when we're offering ourselves to other people, what we're doing is giving something back to ourselves. That's what you're saying, and that builds resilience. Absolutely builds resilience. And, you know, um, (laughs) I I was a couple of years back, I was in Barcelona, Spain, because it was the World Parliament of Religions. And that happens every five years at sites, uh, at different sites around the world. So that one was in Barcelona. And one of the speakers was His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And he talked about uh, something, I loved his, his language. He called it being wise selfish. And he said being wise selfish is something that benefits you very, very greatly. But it's also a wise thing to do for others. And so he said, compassion meditation, where you're praying for others and thinking the best for others. Or forgiveness, when you're, you know, you're letting go of difficult situations and therefore letting go of anger that stresses you. Or if you're doing something good for somebody else, these are wise selfish because they benefit you as well as benefiting others. Mm-hmm. And that letting go part is is so very important when it comes to, you know, usually when we've got some trouble, there was some um, onsetting event that said, okay, you're fired or you've got an illness or whatever. There's some circumstance that is really troubling to us and we can very often blame other people and, and God and all kinds of things for that. But I want to talk a little bit about the letting go process when we get back right after the break. This is Authentic Living. We're talking today to Dr. Joan Borsenko. We'll be back in a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Over there? Over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. (laughs) Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at pornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. 
I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It's a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. Skills USA can help. What is Skills USA? Skills USA is life changing. Skills USA is awesome. Skills USA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. Skills USA is amazing. Skills USA is motivating. Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. Skills USA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at skillsusa.org. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back for the last segment talking today with Dr. Joan Borosinko about her book, It's Not the End of the World, Developing Resilience in Times of Change. And we said just before the break that we were going to talk a little bit about that letting go process that we think is so very important to, the, to resilience. Can you say some more about that, Joan? Yes, letting go is um, it's one of the hardest things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Letting go in a number of ways. I remember the great Zen teacher, Suzuki Roshi, who said, you know, the thing is not learning how to let go. It's learning how to notice when something is already gone. And that's a really important thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit, and it's not the end of the world, a little bit of wisdom on letting go, which I agree is recognizing when something is already gone. 
and not using up your energy wishing that things were different. And one of my great teachers of letting go happens to be a Theravadan Buddhist monk. He's abbot of a monastery in Kamloops, British Columbia. And his name is Ajahn Sona. So I had quoted uh, Sona uh, in It's Not the End of the World. And he said something to me once, Andrea. You know how people can say something to you one sentence and it changes you forever after? Oh, yeah. This is my letting go sentence <laughs> from Ajahn Sona. He says, look, Sona. He said, the past, by definition, is the past. It has already happened. You cannot change it. So trying to change what already happened is bad hope. It's just a waste of energy. It's history. This moment is the only real moment. So you can come into this moment, and you can certainly say, what have I learned that will allow me to uh, well, you know, step into the future in a better way? And that's great. But the past is over and gone. And I realized that's exactly right. By definition, it's over and gone. And every time I start to say, oh, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that, you know. If only I had followed this advice or that advice or, you know, taken my money out of the stock market when my intuition said, it's going to crash, my life would be different. And you can be stuck in a repetitive loop of hanging on to the past forever. And it just stresses you out, and it in no way helps you to step more skillfully into the future. So this is it. For me, the best sentence was, the past is past, it's history. Don't waste your energy holding on. And it just it makes sense. So it's a practice for me, Andrea, as I catch myself doing that all the time living uh, in the past with a sense of regret, a sense of, oh, why didn't I? And I can report to you that the half-life between obsessing about something I should let go of uh, and actually stepping into the future is getting shorter and shorter, Mm -hmm. mostly because I just remember this is pointless. (laughs) It's pointless. The past is done. And that's what we have to do because, you know, you've only got so much energy. And you can attract more energy to you when you're excited about the future. You know that. You know, you've got a big project coming up and energy just pours in. But, boy, if you're living in regret, the energy just pours out. So, you know, if you really stop to think about these things, um, that very reality, the energetic reality, I think is a big help to letting go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well said. Because, and that is, a, that is the reason to let go. Well, there's probably lots of reasons, but it's the one I'm thinking of right now that's the strongest for me is that, that idea that we gain energy to move forward if we can just let go of the past. Exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Okay, so you've talked a lot about um, being innovative and uh, the, we, you, you have a chapter that's about the right brain and that, that sort of creative impulse in there. Uh, do you want to say some more about that piece, the right brain and creativity? Well, yeah, you know, this is technically authors who are being interviewed about their new book. I heard years ago we're not supposed to be pushing other people's books, but I don't care. There's a lot of good <laughs> books out there, so... 
I want to mention, of course, I want your, your listeners to know about It's Not the End of the World, which is my new book on resilience. But I also want them to know about a great book about the right brain, which was written by Daniel Pink. And it's called A Whole New Mind. Because we, we know that there, now scientifically, that there is a huge difference between what the right and the left hemisphere of your brain are specialized to do. So, for example, language uh, resides in the left hemisphere. If people have a stroke in a certain part of their left hemisphere, they lose language. Uh, or mathematics, the ability to add, to multiply, to divide, to work with numbers is the left brain function. And the left brain is really good at putting stuff together in a linear way. Uh, I'm happy every time I go to pay my bills that my left brain is healthy. Mm -hmm. um, right brain, on the other hand, can only add up to something like 10. It, uh, it just doesn't do that. But what the right brain does is it sees the whole. That's where the mindfulness lies that we were talking about a few segments ago, that if you want the big picture, if you want to see the forest for the trees, that is a right brain function. And the ability to improvise and to create requires this kind of right brain function. So what Daniel Pink says in his book, it's a whole new mind, is he said, you know, it used to be that we lived in a culture that really um, lauded, extolled our left brain skills and, and that you could really be hired because you had information. You studied certain things. Now he said information and isn't it true? You can Google just about everything. You can develop a tremendous amount of expertise in a week on any given subject. But what corporations, for example, are paying for now is the capacity of a person to synthesize, to take different fields of information, and to come up with whole new ideas that really see the forest that is larger than the individual trees. And that's what your right brain does. And so meditation uh, is one way to create a right brain skill. And I think anything that causes you to look at things differently, like gardening, look at something different, helps those skills. So we're activating that brain so we can be creative and be resilient. That's right. Well, we're out of time today, and I hate it. I love talking with you, Joan, about, and about any topic, but this one in particular about resilience has been very helpful, and I really appreciate your time and energy in talking with our listeners about it. Thank today. you, Andrea. Thank you so much. All right, and we're going to be back again next week with Ken Foster, so tune in again, and don't forget, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and